How's everybody doing? Good. I love that. Like, I, I usually bring it in and I ask how people are doing, but like, no one's commented on a single video we've ever <laughs> done. Not, and not that you'd respond, "I'm doing well, thank you," in a in a YouTube comment or like. A... No, that's what I want. Respond how you're doing. Yeah. Let us know. <laughs> oh man, this is a this is a very special episode, though. So whether you respond or not, I mean, you will be tuning in to watch uh, a very wonderful interview with a Mr. Mark Hubble we have here in studio. Oh my goodness, round of applause. Thank you for having me. <laughs> pleasure to be here on the LNC show. The pleasure is ours. It is ours because um, I think I said not too long ago that we haven't had a guest in like 10 years. Yeah, and that's... Been. That's just the nature of the drought we've been in, the guest drought. But here you are, water in a, in a desert, a, a mirage almost. I but... feel special if it's been that long <laughs> since you've had a guest. I really do. Yeah, no. Uh, I think that, um, I think people just, you know, they, they, they think that we're too cool to approach. You know, they see the clips and they see how well put together all this is and they don't know. They don't know how to get the, their foot in the door, but I'm here to tell you right now that it's all a facade and that um, I call this studio bedroom because we're literally in my bedroom right now. I can't get any more ghetto, I don't think. It's possible, unless I was doing it out of the back of like a, a trailer or, <laughs> you know, or outside, right? a tarp maybe, okay, out of my car. I knew somebody who lived in their car not too long ago and that lasted for a week. They couldn't do it anymore, and they moved back in with their parents. And they really thought they were going to live out of their their Nissan. Uh, it was the Sentra, the really small compact <laughs> Nissan. And they they converted the uh, passenger seat into like a little twin bed with a folding mattress. It was really elaborate, and they had a whole fan system and, and water a water filter and again i what i say a week so thousands of dollars of uh, <laughs> modifications to their car lasted a week well i was intimidated when i pulled into the driveway oh really because i pulled into the wrong driveway <laughs> and there it. was like some type of shed there uh, and it had a window and yeah. it said keep out it was really dark in there it looked like a place where somebody might torture someone absolutely a serial killer and I said, I hope this isn't the studio. No, no. Because, or maybe I'm late. Maybe maybe Christian's already dead, and I just stumbled upon the scene, and I, yeah. I might need to make a phone call. But you couldn't have then come. Then I saw, I was like, okay, I'm not at 28. I'm at 26 and a half, because there's like a house, and then there's a, a shed and storage unit, and then there's your house yeah. a little bit further down the road. I said, okay. And what, coincidentally, you said park next to the Great Honda. There was actually a Great Honda in the other place. Uh, you know what? I didn't take that into account. And I only just got this car. I don't know if you saw the temp tags on my car. It's, I've only had this for like a month now, which I just got the license plates in today, or my dad did, so I need to go pick them up. But, um, I mean, when I said park my, uh, next to my car, I'm used to telling people like my old car 
that I had forever. Uh, but since I totaled that, I can't. I have to remember not to do that anymore because we stood parked to the left, and the car that I was parked mm -hmm. next to there was only a place on the right. So oh, I yeah. was like, well, maybe Christian doesn't know right from left. Maybe, maybe he, he does. I'm going to back in. Yeah. Instead of pulling straight, so either way, I, I made the mistake. And you you couldn't I have come a place. moment sooner to uh, to not only save me but teach me about directions as no, well. I love the neighborhood. It's very diverse. <laughs> And I don't mean like ethnically or racially. I'm talking about class diverse. I mean, you go from a, a big mansion looking house yeah. and then like literally 100 feet later, there's a there's a trailer with some rusted out Chevy pickups in the, uh, yeah. in the yard. So yeah. it's like, you know, this place is old, but they started to build new places after the place had already been here. The old place. So it's very diverse. That's the nature of Stafford, though. I mean, it's like. Well, it's expensive as hell to live anywhere in Northern Virginia to begin with, but um, a lot of old homes, a lot of like uh, stick hill people homes and territories, and then all kinds of new neighborhoods sprouting up all over the place, new developments. And then you've got these weird sort of mixes like these neighborhoods, like what we're in. And we're only renting here. This isn't our house, but- Yeah, um, it actually looks like the, the gradual, um, progression of somebody's life like they go from white trash <laughs> yeah. and then now they're in like a, an area the end like of the driveway is <laughs> and then they the move dream. to a small like a ranch style house yeah. and then there's a big like two or three story house <laughs> with a big driveway big yard so it's like you know i started from the bottom now i'm here but you get to see that just in one street over here in one road you i haven't see thought that, about it that like that progression no. of uh oh my of income it's yeah, a very, it's very astute nice. point absolutely um Oh my gosh! See, this is why I write stuff down because I'll have I'll have something I wanted to talk about, and then I'll just it'll leave my entire brain. Oh no! Across the street, I, I'm, there was a cocktail party I'm going to go to, uh -huh. and then the other house, the trailer, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot at the target. I, well, I love that you've been invited to the cocktail party for one. I've been living here a year now. Well, look at me! I'm a handsome man. I was gonna say um, maybe I'm a white guy, mid forties. Maybe this isn't as racially uh, diverse party. a neighborhood as. <laughs> as it is economically but oh no i was gonna say you asked if i was a serial killer because somebody last night i, I was at bar pilar i hope i'm saying that right uh trey solo friend of the show friend of the podcast uh his uh he has a production company that hosts an open mic in dc uh the the company's called or the production producers are called left turn comedy dc and um I went to check out the open mic because I'm looking for new places to sign up at when I don't. Is that Brandon Moore's thing? No, Brandon Moore, uh, he was doing trustees for a while, uh, which is shut down now. And now he's doing one that I went to on Tuesday. Um, I forget what he's calling it, but it's over in Woodbridge. Broken mic? It's not broken mic. No, that was, that was um, the trustees one. Okay. The place, the bar is called trustees, but that was broken mic. Oh my! Right, it's called to, it's called Last Laugh. Yeah, Last Laugh Last in Woodbridge. All right, back to where you were at. Oh, for sure. I'll get back to it now. It's it's in there and it's anchored <laughs> in the back of my head now. But uh, went to check out uh, Trey Solo's mic. Had a great time. I didn't get to go up because the list was full. They have they have a walk in and an online sign up. So I'm going to get on the the online next time. But one of the comics who went up. I mean, first of all, this guy was just. <laughs> he was like a 
it was a journey. I mean, even up to the up to the microphone, it was a, a, a whole a whole deal, a whole to do. He had on like a Dave Chappelle looking jumpsuit, right? So if you can imagine, like the a light gray, greenish I've jumpsuit. Worn those You've worn those, okay? Not <laughs> <laughs> so you you know you're familiar. Yes. So, but you wouldn't go to an open mic in one of those, would you? I mean, have have you? Not unless I escaped from jail. Yeah. And just wanted to tell some jokes right when I got out. And this guy very well may have done that, actually, based on his material. He had a ton of like dollar store props he was using, uh, one of which was of like a baby foot that he had hidden in his leg that he shook out to I forget what the setup was or the punch I was so so shocked that I forgot everything else up to that point that he had a baby doll foot in his leg and everyone who was there I think it went totally quiet it like somebody gasped as soon as it fell out because they were like what the fuck is happening pardon my, my language we were all just so so shocked but he turns to me for a for a punchline uh because he 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 was making a joke about how um how men with clean bathrooms are serial killers men with clean <laughs> they they just can't have clean men cannot maintain clean restrooms and he's looking around and he's like you sir and i was with somebody um another comic and he goes like yeah i mean i i guess my bathroom's a little dirty and he points at me and he's like you too right i mean i could go around the room each and every guy and i said well no mine's clean he goes, well, that means you're a serial killer if yours is clean, because there's no other explanation for that. And I said, well, no, it's actually because I'm gay. That's why my bathroom is clean, <laughs> because I'm a gay guy and we know how to, you know, keep our 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 stuff tidy. And he goes, but he went totally silent. I guess he wasn't expecting that response. You know, he thought, okay, this the clear punchline is serial killer, and there's no exception to the rule <laughs> you could just be a ted bundy that hasn't struck you, you know exactly you want to look at it that way but i was gonna say i was gonna say i mean but as soon as in my head as soon as i said i'm gay i i felt bad for the person sitting next to me that i brought with me because i was with a guy a, another comic that i invited out and i was like oh he's not gay though but then everyone's gonna think like we're on a date or something now because that's what everyone assumes immediately and I, in my head, I'm putting two and two, and I, I wanted to say out loud, and I wanted to say, you know, I, I am gay, but we're not on it. We're not. He's, but he's not. We're not on a date. I just had to bring somebody out here with me, so I didn't look like a serial killer at a at a show alone, <laughs> you know. And then I do kind of do the mental math thereafter of like, I guess all roads lead back to serial killer one way or another. But uh, yeah. <laughs> nobody cares that you're gay. It's like either, either way, if I'm at a if I'm at a show alone, nobody cares whether you got spotted or not. The guy who was with you, he didn't care either. He didn't care. Nobody cared. Yeah, <laughs> they just want to know if I have people in that shed that you passed by on the way in here. I guess. Which, um, by the way, there's zero zero access to at any point during the during your visit here. So we keep that. You know. That's off limits. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I read, so I read. <laughs> so you were okay. You know, good. Okay, as long as we can <laughs> smooth over that and make sure. Nobody, nobody thinks you're a serial killer, Lorenzo. You're black. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to get away with it. Although there was that one guy, that guy who got away with it for like. Oh, like something crazy, like four decades. Right. This guy traveling across the country. Oh my God, he's like 
what like one of the all-time prolific american serial killers that they only just caught i want to say like a decade ago like and he was a black guy? A black guy. Like, well, that's why they didn't catch him, because they weren't looking for a black guy. I'm, uh, okay. I'm not saying that they're not capable of serial killing. I'm just saying that, <laughs> that the they don't demographic happen. and the statistics are so, so low that it's an anomaly if a black yeah. guy is a serial killer. I don't know what it is. Why I thought you people. were implying that it couldn't happen because a black no. person couldn't get away with it. Because no. they would be shot immediately. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one, too. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I see what you're saying, though, yeah. I, and I think white people do uh, take that path, that chosen path, because they know they can get away with it, or they have a better chance at it, you know. Or they have severe mental illness mm -hmm. that makes them think they can get away well, that with too. it for a long period of that time. That too. Uh, that BTK killer, bond torture kill guy. Um, I don't know that. What's he got that? away with it for so long that he was mad that the police hadn't found him yet. Like he was mad at the whole system itself. He was like, man, I gave y'all clues. Yeah. Oh, I, I was leaving breadcrumbs, little riddles. Idiots, man. Do I just have to come out and confess to it? And that's what he basically did. He just came out oh. and confessed to it. And then he just told him his entire story because it was just eating at him. Not the guilt, but just the incompetence of the police and detectives yeah. in his area. Yeah. Cause they, that they couldn't find him. <laughs> yeah. This it's is like you're you're, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> yeah, it was like I figured y'all had got me yeah. by now. I was like, I wanted the game to end at some point. You guys. Yeah, he was like sitting there with his neighbor. He was like, Oh yeah, I'm that guy. And his neighbor was like, Really? He was what? like, Yeah, I'm that guy. So his neighbor about? went and told the police. Yeah. <laughs> oh like, I think God. I live next door to that guy that you guys have been looking for since nineteen seventy seven. This is the dude I was talking about. I remembered his name. Samuel Little. Which he had been arrested. Ooh, he that like, looks like Don King from his uh Right when he got out of prison in Cleveland, oh, yeah. before his hair got really, really uh, out there. Uh huh. I mean, and he had he had a rap sheet for other petty stuff like traffic uh, crimes or, or like theft, right? Mm -hmm. Never missing persons until like until now, until he's this old, and it's just like you're describing this other person how they're like all giddy to you know, you know, to to reveal all the fun yeah. people they've been hiding everywhere. And and that's what he does now. Now for, um, I don't know if it, it's not a lesson sentence, but he gets some kind of um, compensation for giving tips for the for the missing people because it's something crazy. Like what do you like mean compensation. How does he get compensation? Like there's, he there's gets privileges while he's in yeah. Oh no, okay, yeah. that's compensation. Okay, mm -hmm. I understand. I'm getting like, get paid. No no no. He gets he gets special time. privileges for for revealing or divulging information to authorities now. From it's like we'll give you a, mm -hmm. a large Pizza Hut pepperoni exactly pizza no. if you tell us where he's never getting out five is located he's never getting just, like, out writes it down okay here's where it's at oh, this guy killed shit. like my pie. this guy killed like over 80 people it's it's a an insane amount of... oh yeah i don't watch the news oh yeah well i mean i get all my news off of facebook and uh yeah somebody talking like about everyone knows i get my news from christian right here uh, <laughs> you will now once you subscribe goodness i mean i, I hope to keep everybody up on the current events and in serial killing i wouldn't be doing my job i think that's that's most of podcasting though is like white women listening to <laughs> to true no. crime true crime podcasts white women. i need to transition into into a true crime genre oh my god we'd do we'd have so much better numbers for real hey that's why i know that this episode is probably going to get a lot of clicks and a lot of views if you put in the title ex-convict 
who just got out of prison joins the show and tells prison stories. Now, if you say ex-convict tells prison stories, just have that as the the little, um, what is it, that little explanation or description of the video. Ex-convict comes, tells prison stories. People eat that stuff up. Uh They love to hear about crime. They love to hear about prison. And there's these guys that have launched these YouTube channels where they talk about their time in prison and all these different uh, war stories and crazy stuff that went on because people don't get to see that. <laughs> they yeah. know it might be going on, but they don't get to hear about it. They don't get to see it. So it's like this this morbid curiosity like people have with other people in their lives, like the, the wives that kill the husbands and yeah. the, the true crime shows where it's like the, the soccer mom just – she was poisoning all of her husbands with arsenic and oh five husbands God. later they finally caught on to the fact that it's not in the water uh, the wife is doing it. yeah so people love that stuff i haven't latched on to anything other than that what i'm understanding is that we have you on record uh, giving us permission to clickbait you in the title and thumbnail of the video right is that what of course okay I always have my permission <laughs> Because I'm gonna plaster. Do anything, yeah. Like you said, XCon. I can, can see the big some letters bars in the background <laughs> and some like some really inappropriate, you yeah. know, over the top stereotypical <laughs> like, prison yeah. uh, poses from guys. Yeah. And oh but I God. will do. I will tell. If you want to do a muscle pose in front of one of the curtains, <laughs> and we can get you. Like, yeah. This yeah. is how you know I wasn't watching somebody's <laughs> boxers when I was inside. You know, I, I, I've got some size to. No, I can tell you. Things that we do is we lift weights. You were talking about your your buddy who was wrongfully um, convicted before we started. We were having a conversation about him. Were you and he was a, a baseball player? Were you big into baseball sports before? Oh yeah, I'm huge always still. Fan, yeah, uh, since I was a little kid. But I saw you were at the yeah the Nats game the other night. So that, yeah, um, always been a been a baseball fan since I was old enough to walk and talk. And Jimmy Gardner, who you're referring to, who was wrongfully convicted in the state of West Virginia, did 27 years for a crime he did not commit. Goodness gracious. And I was in there for a crime that I did commit, but the circumstances surrounding it, I had not disclosed up until that point. Hmm. Um, What had happened was I was going to college, small town in West Virginia, and I got hooked on drugs, started selling drugs to support my habit. One of my customers tried to rob me at gunpoint. We ended up getting into a shootout and I I shot him and killed him during the shootout. But then knowing that I'm a senior in college with one semester left to graduate with a degree in secondary education, because I was going to be a high school history teacher and coach basketball and football and Mm -hmm. possibly baseball. That was going to be my, my future. Yeah. But now I'm standing over a dead body and I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So I tried to cover things up and then, try to get away with it. Well, in this day and age, in the CSI age, uh, the truth catches up eventually. You know, there's what happened was uh, one of the guys that I had talked to right after it happened, um, he got in trouble for some unrelated stuff a few months later and said, oh, I, I know some information about this unsolved crime that happened. And so I played the I didn't do it role, mm-hmm. took it to trial, they ended up finding me guilty and then giving me a life sentence, which is... Was it a jury trial? A jury trial, yeah. And life sentence in West Virginia is you serve 15 years minimum, and then after that you can start seeing the parole board. Hmm. So the jury gave me a life with the possibility of parole. I guess they saw like it was a couple of college-age kids yeah. into drugs. Maybe there was a chance I could change. I wasn't a serial killer. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't like I got any joy out Although of that. Although the percent was a little high. It was just like... 
this was the situation. I felt like I, I had to defend myself and then just let the chips fall where they may. And yeah. uh, eventually I got sentenced and that's where I met Jimmy was mm-hmm. while I was inside and his his case is uh is really crazy. So if if you uh Google Jimmy C. No, Gardner right now, absolutely Jimmy C. Gardner, J I M M I E, Jimmy C. Gardner, and you'll see that uh he was wrongfully convicted and not and not just a case of mistaken identity, but these people in these positions of authority tried to ruin his life and they did it on purpose. I'll tell you what. Okay. You, I was talking about the um and not to cut you off because I want to hear yeah. everything, but we were talking about a podcast about wrongful convictions, and that's actually the name of the show, Wrongful Convictions. And yeah, I, I have heard, I've heard this one. Yeah, this I can't recall most of it, but I do remember his his image uh, coming up at one point. Oh yeah, I mean how how crazy is it to think? Yeah. Well, just to like sum it up, uh, two women got attacked, mm-hmm. and they didn't know who did it. And um, they, the woman described their attacker as someone who was medium to light skinned black man, approximately six feet tall. Well, Jimmy is dark, dark skinned black man, six feet five. Mm-hmm. And during the time of the attack, the minor league baseball team he was playing for was actually playing in a game. And he was in the bullpen, he's a pitcher. And they said he could have left the bullpen, went and done the crime, and then came back to the game later on. And they said, uh, his lawyer said so to the ladies, he said, so did your attacker have on a Charleston Wheelers baseball uniform on? You know, yeah. just, it was so obvious that he didn't do it. But the forensic pathologist in the case um, planted DNA evidence that they had taken from him earlier when they questioned him. Because he submitted his DNA and his uh, fingerprints. He was trying to clear his name. So he was like, here, take his hair sample, fingerprints, DNA. Mm-hmm. So this guy named Fred Zane, and if you can look that up, yeah. Fred uh, Z-A, maybe it's Z-A-Y-N-E. Over 150 cases that he oversaw, there was suspicion that he had done something criminal in those cases. Uh, yeah, you see him. See Jimmy's picture, but Fred Zane was a—he was a crooked forensic pathologist, and he was trying to uh, get convictions for the prosecution. And he ended up having to face criminal charges for what he was doing, mm-hmm. because that's what the jury hears. The jury can dismiss uh, descriptions and things like that, but when a forensic pathologist says yes, the DNA matched the DNA on the scene, the jury is like, "Well, his DNA matched." Um, it's his lawyer there. I'm trying Fred to find Zane, an image of this guy. Uh, and it, and you know, for good, Z A I N E, yeah, I mean, that might be Fred Zane, and just put, yeah, that's him on the left, top left corner, right there. That's him, him there, goodness, yeah, he looks like so a real guy. Uh, <laughs> upstanding guy, <laughs> definitely not a piece of work to the mm-hmm. eye. I just picked that from him, actually. Yeah, he was probably yeah. a pedophile on the side, but that's just my personal, yeah, personal assessment opinion, based sure. on his appearance. Or serial killer, even, if totally, I had to uh, guess. I don't know how we got there. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> He's dead now, by the way. If he would what? Oh, he, was, he, was, he was hiding his crimes by locking other people up. Oh, he, he could have, yeah. He attacked the woman. He, like, he, like, <laughs> did a little, like, thing, black face. Oh, boy, <laughs> maybe. No, I think they... <laughs> Let's not... give Fred a little credit here. <laughs> 
I think uh, somebody in another state was actually um, ended up being accused of that crime. Uh -huh. Like he had been doing the same thing in other yeah. states. He just wanted to, you know, clear his workload and, and get commendations know. for things that he didn't deserve. And but it, it just shows that there's flaws in the justice system. No, absolutely there are. And, and I mean, this stuff continues to happen. I mean, there's a podcast about it for a reason. There are, there right. are shows dedicated to this very problem because it continues to happen and, there, and it continues to be a disproportionate amount of black people that are wrongfully convicted um, whether it's black people committing the crimes or not, I mean, it happens to be that they'll just pin it on anyone who even so much as halfway fits a description. And a description, it sounds like in Jimmy's right. case, that didn't make any sense at all. No. <laughs> I mean, and the women who were attacked when they testified uh, directly, is this the man who attacked you? They, mm -hmm. they did not say that he was the man. Yeah. They said, I don't know. I don't know. And that's I'm not enough sure, to convict. Because that's what their lawyers said. If you're not going to say yes, then don't say no either. <laughs> because we got to get a conviction somebody's got to go down for this yeah. and that's the that's the wrong type of attitude of somebody's got to go down for this it's find mm -hmm. the right person and then build the case and have the proof and if some people who are guilty go free that might happen from time to time but it's better than one the innocent person getting convicted yes when they're guilty because they're not guilty you're essentially killing somebody while they're alive, you're you're stripping them of their civil liberties, your and their life, their quality of life, and their life itself, the years of it. And like Lorenzo said earlier, I don't know if it was on mic or not, because we were having this discussion before we started. Um, but it's it's really revenue motivated too, in so many ways. You know, the more convictions they make, and the more effective a certain station or precinct looks, you know, the more. Uh, the the more funding they'll receive because they've proven that they somehow deserve it because they're they're actively you know apprehending people or, or or catching these these crimes. Well, people want justice, and that's the thing is like, why is it taking so long? Why is it taking so long? So, in mm -hmm. in an effort to not look incompetent, they overcompensate and they just pick up the first person that they think might be capable of doing it and then they try to railroad him and build a case against that person and it's it's so hard to um prove that you didn't do something uh-huh if you get accused of it think about all the accusations that fly around even in today's day and age where a person I'm like how do you prove that you didn't do that you mm -hmm. know somebody could accuse me of some kind of crazy thing right now and it's like well how could i prove that i didn't do that and yeah. next thing you know, other people are behind that person and they're like, oh, well, they said it, so it must have happened. You know, you can start a rumor about anybody. And not not it, even to mention that. be true. Not even to mention that you're one person and you might have maybe one court-appointed lawyer versus an entire team, an entire building's worth of people dedicated to proving that you did something that you didn't do. You know and, what guys in prison call uh, the, public, uh, the public defender? What? They call them the public pretender. <laughs> They, because it's like yeah. he's so inexperienced or she's so inexperienced. It's like they're pretending like they're lawyers or mm -hmm. they're pretending like they're they're fighting for you. Yeah. But they've got a stack of cases that mm -hmm. they have to 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 yeah. go through, and you can't get proper representation if somebody's only spending an hour and a half looking at your your case and and what is involved in it. Mm -hmm. So it's like yeah. if you get a court appointed attorney, you might as well take a plea and try to get less time because if Jeez. you try to take it to trial with a court appointed attorney then you're going to get what you paid for. 
that's, which is a, a very weak defense. It's so stupid, too. And, and then and then that's used as an argument. Well, everyone has a right to an attorney or to, a, you know, adequate defense. Um, but then, like you said, it's just sort of written off as acceptable to have, okay, one or two people who are totally swamped and inexperienced. They're using this as a way to get job experience. Um, I, there, there have to be measures taken to to institute better standards for you know right. legal representation free legal representation for people so jimmy was a he was a, one of my best friends while i was incarcerated uh, we had a lot in common we both liked sports uh they had softball and basketball leagues in the prison and i was a great player uh softball player great basketball player i was a point guard um for my high school basketball team in virginia so, now, see, I can't prove you wrong. That's the thing about right. about evidence is no, I, I didn't see, see any of that. I'm, I'm a, just going to take I'm you at your word. Now. I, I coach <laughs> middle school basketball team. Can you imagine me? I've got sort of life sentence in prison, uh -huh. and just this just goes to show like how how blessed I am and how how great my life is, how great God is, and how great um, people's forgiveness can be when mm. they see you've actually made a real change in your life. You know, I said that my crime happened as a result of being involved in alcohol, drugs, and I've got 23 years of sobriety now, mm -hmm. turned my life over to God, and now I'm coaching a Christian homeschooled middle school boys basketball team. Christian homeschooled. Homeschooled parents are some of the most protective parents in the world, and they're <laughs> yeah. letting a convicted felon yeah. who was convicted of murder coach their sons. If that doesn't show you how um forgiving people can be and how understanding people can be i don't know what is because there's a lot of times where i want to make excuses and i want to say the world's against me or they're not giving me a fair shot or a fair chance and then i look at the fact that i'm, I'm a middle school basketball coach now and mm -hmm. i even took that off of my list of possible goals to achieve because i thought it would never be attainable but these people they said you know we we think that you've really changed and we and we know that you're a positive person and, and that's the opinion. Okay. The opinion of most uh, of most well-meaning uh, people is is that people do deserve a second chance, an opportunity to prove that they've changed. Especially after some, your case is yeah. you know one of the probably one of the most gruesome, unimaginable things that you could uh, do as a as a kid in your position at the time. You know, like mm -hmm. you said, I I can imagine you now looking at looking at what has just unfolded before you. Um, knowing that you're the cause of it by one way or another and, and you know make de deciding to make the decisions you made on the fly in that moment and thinking oh there's just no coming back from this right there's and then i have to face uh his mother and his oh uncle, yeah and, and it doesn't hearing, stop and they extended their forgiveness to me mm -hmm. and they they said that, how shocking uh, was that to see them oh, I, I just melted i started yeah. crying like a baby when i sat in a chair and, and the mother she said Mark, I just want you to know one thing. And I'm like bracing for like, I never want you to get out. I want them to bury you into yeah. this place. You took my son away. Yeah. She said, I just want yeah. you to know one thing. I forgive you. Oh. You know, and I just started crying. And I, mm -hmm. at that point in time, I didn't even care what the parole board said. Like yeah. if they let me go or didn't let me go. Mm -hmm. And when they asked if I had anything to say, I was like, you know, uh, you can give me 10 more years. As long as I've got her forgiveness, I feel like a huge weight's been lifted off my shoulders because mm -hmm. I really felt so bad about the incident itself and not the fact of how it went down. I mean, of course I regret the fact that he's gone, but I'm the one who put myself in that position. I made a series of bad choices that 
put me in that place with a bag full of drugs and money and mm. having a gun. Why do I have a gun? Yeah. Because I'm involved in something dangerous, dealing drugs, hard drugs. You know, so this is a different type of clientele. Now, you were a senior in college, so you had yes. to be, what, like 21, 22? I was 21 years old mm. when this happened. And that's why when I was in that situation, I was only focused on the situation. Now, during my incarceration, I matured and I was able to take responsibility and, and be accountable for my part in the, in the situation to begin with. I made a series of bad choices that led me to be in that position. I shouldn't have started using drugs, selling drugs, all that stuff. And then I ended up with the consequences that were deserving. Mm -hmm. You know, and I and when people say, you know, it was self-defense, self-defense, I'm like, you know what? Their family deserves justice because of what I did after everything happened. I should have called the police immediately. I should have told them exactly what happened, how it happened, and mm -hmm. faced my my stuff right then and there. But I didn't. This family is like wondering what happened to their son or their nephew. Right, right. And I knew. And that's the thing is like, I deserve to be punished in some way, shape or form. And during that incarceration is when my life change happened. Mm -hmm. But I also want to tell you that everything in prison isn't always people mean mugging each other and a bunch of fights and violence and rape and all that other stuff. That's that's not what goes on on a day-to-day -day basis. It does happen. Don't get me wrong. It happens. <laughs> but it's not the norm, okay? That's what people want to hear about and talk about and glorify. What they don't see is a bunch of guys sitting around a table and cracking jokes on each other. Yeah. You know, because people think it's a humorless environment. And that's why I know... Growing up in my childhood, I grew up in predominantly black neighborhoods in the South, and I was usually the, the odd one out. I was easy to pick out in a group photograph, mm -hmm. and that was my culture and my upbringing. So I, I didn't have that, that uh, learned racism, so to speak, where somebody mm -hmm. taught me to hate a certain group. You know, if I was a racist growing up, I wouldn't have had any friends. Yeah. And the culture and just like I, I listened to rap music and I was breakdancing. This is back in the 80s, you know, run DMC, LL Cool J and Beastie Boys. And I was I was doing all these things and I just I didn't see color. I just saw personalities and mm -hmm. I saw character and I saw what Martin Luther King talked about in his speech about having a dream. It was like not by the color of your skin, but the contact of your character. Now, there were some of the guys in the neighborhood I couldn't stand. Mm -hmm. I had nothing to do with their skin color. Just, they were just jerks. Yeah. And then there was some that was like my best friends. And it was the opposite way, too. I felt like in situations, they had my back, too. Like I was, um, looked the same as them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like they saw past, past my color, too, in a way that most people weren't back in that time. You know, back in the South back then. So progressively, we, as a group, were in a harsh environment mm -hmm. not much money a lot of violence a lot of drug use going on in the neighborhoods and what is our release how do we cope with that well we can cry but you get tired of crying after a while or we can laugh and that's what we chose to do is that we chose to have a sense of humor and we chose to crack jokes and just make fun of each other. Yeah. Nothing was off limits. Nothing was taboo. And it's just like, we weren't offended by each other. Mm -hmm. 
it was more respect like man that was a really clever one that was a great that was it took a lot of thought to come up with that joke i like that joke yeah and then you end up staying the joke because you thought it was so funny to somebody else and that's how that's how humor um and a desperate and dark situation can can come out you know did, did you all did you all have any games or other kinds of outlets then just sitting and you know and shooting the the breeze and having conversations or was it really just i don't know your situation in particular was it really totally well i got arrested in uh in richmond virginia okay and i um and this is the year 2000 in rico county regional jail uh, they came from West Virginia and they arrested me and then I had to go through extradition to go uh, to be transferred to West Virginia. Yeah. And uh, and I remember I was the only white guy on the on the unit. Like I got my I got my uh my cup with my toothbrush in it. I got a I'm got a mattress over my shoulder mm-hmm. and jumpsuit on. I walk in the the day room and it's like I'm the only white guy and all these black guys are staring at me. I'm talking like the Domino's game stopped, the Spades game stopped. Yeah. I think the TV, the day room TV, like muted itself. <laughs> it was just complete silence. <laughs> and I'm looking around and what happens, one of the guys was doing weekends for DUIs. Uh, I was working at the North Richmond YMCA, which was predominantly black. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Mr. Mark, Mr. Mark, what are you doing here? And he was the father of one of the kids that was at the uh, North Richmond YMCA youth um, summer camps. Uh-huh. They had them like eight o'clock to four o'clock, drop the kids off and we do activities with them, play games and sports. And that's what I was doing in Richmond at the time was I was a youth counselor for the YMCA. So if that guy was not there to basically say to the other guys, hey, this guy's all right. He's cool. Yeah. You know, uh, what a, yeah, don't, what a great. Don't, don't treat him like you would probably treat some just random punk coming in. Sure. You know, so like he basically you didn't have to feel as isolated right off the yeah. start. And also yeah. uh, being good at sports is something that, you know, I felt it helped me as far as being in, in jails and prisons because uh-huh. they, you know, they usually yeah. have a basketball court and if you're good, then they want you on their team. And, you yeah. know, it's another way to bond and have camaraderie with other guys in there. Yeah. And uh, of course, having a having the charge that I had. Uh, didn't hurt either you know when somebody's got a, a charge as serious as i did mm-hmm. it's like most people are like well, i probably don't want to step over the line with that person because i mean he's already must have done it at some point before he's proven capable of defending himself I i'm not a violent so. person by nature yeah. it's not in my nature to be violent it's not something i enjoy or like mm-hmm. but in that situation you know i've been in fights when i was a kid and even in prison you know i got in a few um but it's mostly like you're just standing up for yourself it's like I I need to fight today, so I don't have to be taken advantage of for the next two years, ten years, twenty mm-hmm. years. You know what I mean? I need to let people know that I will stand my ground, and they're not going to take advantage of me. Yeah. In whatever way. Now people think about the uh, what goes on in prison as far as yeah yeah we're cracking jokes and stuff, but there's well was was there uh, any time where you felt somebody was going to sexually assault you in prison? And I said no because there's way too many guys in prison that will do that type of thing voluntarily hmm. without having to be forced into it. You know, there's, sure. there's guys in prison who are openly homosexual and there's guys who's like, that's their thing. They, they want to go with those guys. So if a rape happens in prison, it's not about um, sex. It's about power and control and disrespect. 
is what it's about. If somebody gets sexually assaulted in prison, hmm. it's basically a, a, a disrespect type of a thing versus a, I wanted it and you didn't want to give it to me type of thing. You know, so I'm I, take, I, I see what you're you saying. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? Absolutely. It's that, not going to happen to somebody like you or somebody who's not right. openly like, quote now, unquote, putting out. Now, but. if I say to, you know, Big Bubba on a yard, you know, who's into that thing. Uh -huh. If I say, man, ain't no way you'd ever be able to get get me. Now I've issued a challenge to I put myself out there and yeah. then when I walk in my cell and I don't see look in the corner and big bubbas, there's a there's a two by four coming at my head, boom, <laughs> knocks me out. Next thing you know, I wake up with my pants around my ankles. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, oh that's gosh. why he did that, yeah. is because you said that he couldn't. Well, you've had by far, I mean, no contest here. I won't even try. I wouldn't put money on anything, any of the experiences that Lorenzo and I have had. They don't hold a candle to yours, but I do have. It's not a contest, guys. But, but, but I if do, it was, I would win. You should absolutely would. And, and that's yours. Please take that prize home with you and keep it. I don't want it. <laughs> but, but I mean, I do have a couple anecdotal experiences. Um, I was actually arrested recently, and I won't get into it because it's still ongoing, and um, this will hopefully be over, fingers crossed. But um, I know what that's like. Uh, thankfully, I didn't have to go to jail. I post a bail immediately. I'm fine. But I, um, well, so I, I was at one point. I enlisted in the Marine Corps to play trumpet. And I got accepted, but you have to go through basic training, right? The 13 weeks in uh, Paris Island. So I was down in South Carolina going through basic uh, recruit training, and um, I got medically discharged at a point. And during separation, they have you in a squad bay like any other, uh -huh. but it's in the receiving building, and you're just you're essentially in, in lockup with all these guys in, in a squad bay, right, all day with the racks, the whole deal. Yeah. You're, you're, you're in working parties. All the, everyone points and laughs because you're the losers who are getting sent home, right? But, right. I mean, it was one of those things where it's like, how do you kill time? What are you doing? And it's just like you're saying, you're making jokes all day. You're busting each other's balls. You're... You know, you're trying not to be the weakest person in the room. You're trying to assert yourself. You're trying to um, be allied with certain people to make sure you don't get fucked with, right? And um, and in many ways, it was like a, a summer camp that I never want to return to. But the guys and people I met in there, you know, I mean, I still have their numbers. There's yeah. a, one of them I've had on the podcast, actually. A really Some of the greatest of men that I've ever met mm -hmm. are... Guys, I met while I was in prison. Yeah, and I would never ask to go back. Right. <laughs> it's, well, it's not about that. It's not about going no. back. I mean, except it's for about... the ones that are doing life without parole, uh -huh. um, which I'll never see them again. But it's about going through and coming out. Some people are evil by nature. Sure. And they need to be locked up. Mm. I'm not one of these guys has got a bleeding heart says everybody needs to be released from prison no there are some crazy messed up people and yeah. i've seen some extremely horrific violent and bizarre things while mm -hmm. i was locked up but i've also seen some incredible acts of kindness uh -huh. and um brotherly love is what i would call it while inside and a lot of times people that have drug and alcohol issues once you take the drugs and alcohol out of their system they are who they normally are yeah. they are their natural self they don't realize it until they're put in that right. position right and it's just like you're a good person 
you just did a bad thing because you were under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Now that you don't have that, I can see that you're a good person. Yeah. And then there's the guy that's next to him. You're evil. <laughs> you are evil personified. And society is not safe if you are out there. Mm-hmm. You need to be behind bars for the rest of your life. And I'm not afraid to say that. Um, when it comes to, to pedophilia, guys um, who, who target young yeah. children for their sexual pleasure, I don't think there's a cure for that. I don't think that's a, a situational type of thing. Once you've acted on that urge, yeah. then you've tasted, you know, you got the taste of it and, and, you, and you're going to continue to crave that. And I don't think you can be so-called rehabilitated from that. Well, I, so I, I'll tell you what, I 100% agree. And I, it's funny you bring that up because I've recently been watching... It's so weird how the internet works. Like I haven't been directly watching the show, but I've been watching like other people react to a yeah. to a show. I've done that before. <laughs> I mean, I've gone down this YouTube rabbit hole of like this one guy reacting to the Chris Hansen, the Catch a Predator show. Yeah. Well, well, no, the the old show. It's a guy now. It's a yeah. He has his own because he's not on yeah. on the network anymore. He's got his own little podcast and internet show. But I'm talking about he's watching like the old NBC Dateline show and and reacting. But there was this one guy who was um uh he was a teacher. He was uh yeah. I want to say a high school teacher, and he was um. And he was found or caught in the sting operation. And immediately when he's caught, he goes, I want you to, can you please arrest me and execute me immediately? He's like begging on camera to be killed. Right. Right. Because you can't, you can't control your sexual preference. Yeah, he's saying. And that's the thing is that you can put them away for a long period of time, but you cannot change their sexual preference. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can't convince me to be gay just like I can't convince you to be straight. You have your preference. For sure. And as long as two consenting adults have their preference, okay. Yeah. But when one's an adult and one is a child, and even more the yeah. gruesome, the under under age seven, age eight type of children, if a that. person has those urges, desires, we don't know that. Okay. Yeah. We don't know what their preference is until they act on it. Mm-hmm. But when they act on it, they have crossed a line. Yeah. And that child is forever scarred. Oh, yeah. And most addicts who are addicted to drugs and alcoholics have childhood trauma yeah. and sexual trauma in their childhood. So these predators, these people who do this, they are harming a child for the rest of their life. That's why I think they should do the rest of their life in yeah. prison. If they yeah. have acted on it and it's proven beyond a reasonable doubt that that did occur uh-huh. to a child and they are responsible it shouldn't be the 15 to 35 years it shouldn't be the the 1 to 15 yeah. for one count you heard it here for uh, yeah. folks i mean controversial take pedophiles uh life no possibility That's not of a controversial take. i hope it's not you know so easy they do it's great like you said like what like 1 to 15 years there's there's, for, there's different sentencing it's yeah. like 3 years if that yeah. like, they get off so easy and like sexual assault by a guardian uh-huh you know what i mean a parent or guardian and that's so much more complex too home. in so many it's not like somebody terrible is like ways yeah. taking somebody out or somebody's uh, luring somebody oh or tracking somebody down i mean this is in the home a lot of this stuff happens in the home yeah because mm-hmm. and i've been around these guys and they 
do not do anything that gives off any indication yeah. that that's they, what they, they look will and walk do. among. That's the because that's you the crux can't of see the, somebody's thoughts. That's now, the crux of the show is that these are regular looking people off the street that end up at this house because they've been having conversations behind you know closed doors or away from right, looking eyes. Right, and then they're they're trying to meet with this person exactly. And, and but but you wouldn't person. But no one no one else who knows them personally would be any the wiser if if they weren't caught on camera if they if they hadn't been, you know, apprehended in the act of, of meeting this person. Of even trying, the attempt even is trying, yeah. to let you know that, hey, this person would have acted on it had it yeah. gone through through the motion. But it's I'm saying sad, that yeah. you can't change somebody. So now when it comes to robbery, okay, I was strung out on drugs. I was desperate for money. So I robbed the store. Uh -huh. Now, inherently, deep down, I'm not a thief. I don't enjoy robbing. But I was desperate. So you take the drugs and alcohol away mm -hmm. and you get somebody some therapy and treatment. Yeah. They can become productive citizens. I and mean, they're not going to do that. They don't have a taste for it. See, I killed somebody, but I'm not a serial killer. Sure. I, I got no joy out of it. But there were people who I was locked up with that that's their MO. Mm -hmm. They get off on doing yeah. violence. Well, I was just to about people. to say, and and so like you were talking about stealing. Well, there are such things as kleptomaniacs, and it really is yeah. like you say, yeah. there there there's there's theft that's motivated by a response to drug withdrawal or a need or an inherent uh right. idea that you need money now or you need this. At yeah, this the drugs moment, are, are calling the shots. They are the motivator in yeah. that instance. But for people who who are kleptomaniacs who just steal things or or serial killers who just kill people kill and, and, and living things for the joy of it that's its own drug response whether yes. whether you know it or not i mean that's that's dopamine that's whatever's being set off in their brain that that indicates to them that they're operating you know in in a in an above board way or that this is fun for them right so and those sorts of internalized drug responses without the introduction of of external forces those are I, I totally agree with you that's so much harder to regulate or to to um to rehabilitate yeah um, and that's the thing is like what are what are prisons designed to do they're designed to rehabilitate uh-huh or they should be i mean right maybe not and, in this country <laughs> right that's what that's what they're supposed that's what they say they're trying to do you know yeah. and if they don't yeah. offer programs they don't offer psychiatric help or treatment mm -hmm. or the the bare minimum then a person is not getting the help that they need and uh -huh. you can also determine that this person, no matter how much you try to help them, this is what they do. This is what they love. Yeah. And they need to be separated from society. You don't know how many times I've seen people make parole or get out. And I know that they're they're pure evil. Jeez. And then it's only a matter of time before they do something to somebody else out here yeah. and then go back to prison. And it's like they should have never been let out in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know, and I and like I said, I'm not one of these people that is too harsh but i'm not too easy on people no. either it's like a case I, by case i totally basis. get what you're you saying to understand everybody's individual and you need to focus on what this individual is mm. who they are what motivates them and are they capable of living in society yeah without acting on these urges now i i, I hate to keep relating it back to like my dumb stupid ass uh, military separation but it's so funny that you say that there are people you've seen that you cross paths with that you feel like like oh my gosh like they should not have been let off or they should this is yeah. somebody who's going to go out and do more harm i had like sort of a similar yet opposite experience where i was like Oh my God! Yeah, thank God they're here because this is somebody who should never have been in the U.S. military. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> what yeah. the heck? How did they even get through recruitment up to this point? You know, this had to be like a street criminal before, you know, but they somehow they cleared. I'm sure they got their own militia yeah. now. Oh, for sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> these these people. They got an arsenal in their shed. It's, They're next door. They live next door to you, yeah. uh, Christian. Yeah, one of several different <laughs> echelons of people that we got to talking about this is a comedy podcast i don't know i know it doesn't feel like it's it. a podcast with a sense of humor <laughs> is what it is yeah but this time it is for sure and we have all sorts of different conversations we've been going um 50 minutes now so i mean time really flies when we're you know talking about such serious topics but i i wanted sort of you know <laughs> Uh, bring some levity in here if, if I might but you were I talking about Jeez. you were talking about racist people and that <laughs> it reminded me of a clip that I I had uh, stored away for some time that I really wanted to, to show Lorenzo but I'm glad you're here so we can get your, your commentary as well Mark so it's people at some at some casino machines here I'm not sure where they are I think they're in Vegas but um, oh, no, I, I don't know if this is an attendant here talking to this this lady, but somebody is recording what looks to be a white woman. Uh, she's got a drink on deck, so she's off to a great start. <laughs> but she's imploring oh, that this God. this person behind the camera record her for some reason. I wonder why. I don't know what's going on here. Okay. Wow. Now, yeah, I, I think this poor lady, she's going to breathe, just breathe, relax, you know, like, but I wonder what would get somebody this, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, oh, okay. it's unbecoming for one, but to get like this irate at anyone in public, when you know you're on camera, I mean, you have to be like it's super, super inebriated. Yeah. To, to get that belligerent. No, for real, but uh, it gets better. She's kicking the camera. This could be a Hollywood casino in West Virginia. I, you think? Especially the way she sounds. Yeah. Or she might be visiting from there. She's drawing that. Yeah. Just I see just next to casino. Uh, I don't see where. Yeah. But they, yeah, she's got that 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 drawl for sure. Let's see here. Oh, her 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 husband or boyfriend here stepped in with the We the People shirt. It's got the Constitution on the on the back, so you know it's going to get even better. Yeah, and he's he trying to talk it down. Stop, Ashley, stop. Ashley. <laughs> so I I feel for this guy, right? It, you know, like we've all been there. We've all been with somebody who's had a little too much to drink, and you're trying to talk them down from doing something they might regret. You know, I've been at, at bars and clubs where there's that one person in our group who like wants to leave with someone else or something. You're like, no, you're not in your right mind. Like, just come with us. I don't know what you're doing. And here he is, Ashley. Please, like, you're not yourself when you're on, you know, Four Loco. <laughs> it's not. This is not you, <laughs> Chris. The suspense is killing me, man. What happens? <laughs> so the guy recording says he's pressing charges against this lady for I, he. She might have assaulted him at some point, or what he constitutes as assault. 
but you see the you see the husband kind of look over his shoulder like shut up man i'm trying to talk her down and you, you still feel for this guy right i mean how do you feel about the situation you said the suspense is killing you but how do you feel up to this point the way they're they're behaving i don't know what's going on you don't know what's going on you don't have enough woman context looks like she is trying to remove her from the area uh-huh and then looks like this guy comes in because he knows her personally yeah and he's trying to remove her from the area and then you got somebody recording that's following all this yeah um, and I she looks drunk. I would assume it's safe to say that the argument is occurring between the person recording and the drunk woman. He said and he's that, pressing charges. And he just said he's pressing charges. And I would assume further that he pulled out his camera to document what's happening. So, so it that can't he, be a he said, she said so type he, of exactly. scenario. Yeah. Understandable. So here's where we are. But how do you feel about this guy right here trying to talk her down? I mean, like, you kind of feel for him, right? Like, we've, we've been in that position before. Yeah. She's calling him an idiot. She's cussing at him up and down. She's about to fall. <laughs> I don't know what's going on now. They're caressing each other. And he's trying to divert her attention. <laughs> yeah. Now, now the guy recording asked for security. And this guy... Oh, there we go. It got good. <laughs> so, uh, okay. He's trying to rewrite history in real time here because, I don't know, you, you need you needed context before, but the, the, regardless of whatever context we did or didn't have up to this point, we heard very clearly what, what he said to the guy recording was... He, he definitely didn't say loser the first time, like he tried to correct the record there. I mean, like, goodness gracious. Shit, what would man. happen to somebody like that if they did that in prison? Would that just be a gang fight immediately? Would it break out? Or would there be a would people be in talks after to see, like, when and where? You know, because there's no taking that back. As this guy tried to do on live recording, he tried to, I called you a loser, man. I don't know what you want me to say. You're a loser. It all depends on the situation. Yeah. Um, now, under any circumstance, you know there's going to be a consequence mm -hmm. for saying that word. Yeah. Um, but you don't know what's going to go on behind the scenes as far as how it's going to be handled sure you don't know if a person is going to just have to fight mm -hmm. have to get beat up yeah or have to apologize you know there's different levels of yeah. consequences is um, there a trial system bar. usually is it like well, how what, bad was what it you have is you have a hierarchy of people who are either well respected uh -huh. or leaders of i don't say the word gang i'll say the word group they're okay. leaders of groups and the leaders talk to each other now the leaders come from all different walks and of life. real quick what why don't you use the the other word is it because of some sort of empowerment you give the because if you use that word system and you're associated or affiliated with anybody who the authorities think is uh -huh. in a group that yeah. goes by that word then you have a jacket put on you that could follow you around for a long period of time. Really, um, gang related, huh. and just like you could, you could be with three of your buddies, and somebody says that word, 
And next thing you know, now you're all group now you're members. affiliated. Now yeah. you're related. You know what I mean? It's just sure. So mm. the leaders talk to each other if it's basically one of the the lower end people. Uh-huh. It's like okay, Jake called Lorenzo the N word during a basketball game when Lorenzo fouled him, and it's like okay, well let's let's talk about this. All right. So does Lorenzo want to fight him? Yeah. Are they going to fight about it? And it basically it starts at the bottom level. Like, are these two people who had this? Like, is he going to fight that guy that he just said that to? Yeah. Or is it going to go political and go even higher uh-huh. to where now you have a group, one group, group mm. <laughs> fighting another mm. group, their group? Because I've seen the the stupid A and E, you know, lock up reality show versions of things where they where they talk to the two individuals in the altercation one by one in their separate groups and they go hey are you really affected by this and the other group may, might go hey what the fuck were you thinking and like you know why'd you go and do that now we have to you know cover you we might not be able to we'll see later when we get in, into talks but i wondered how yeah. how realistic that is in this the situation bottom line like is, is anybody going to lose money over this oh okay because everything mm. goes on the prison economy oh really and, and who was that guy who said the n-word who was the guy who he said it to yeah and do they have some type of role and the prison economy mm. to where it's going to hurt the leaders. Mm-hmm. You understand? Yeah. So I ran gambling operations when I was inside. You know, I was I was the house man. Oh, nice. So people want to make bets and this and that. That's what I did. I also ran poker tables while I was inside. Is that the equivalent of being like the treasurer too, sort um, of? Or is it really I had, yeah, strictly? I had the, I had the economy uh-huh. under my control. Yeah. Like if, if cigarettes were the currency. Yeah. So. You're only allowed to have two cartons in your possession, in your personal possession, your personal property. So I had 50 to 100 cartons at any point in time in my bank. So Mm -hmm. I had to have other people holding my cartons for me. And I did not directly take bets. Mm -hmm. I had people that worked for me that went around and they wrote the, the picks down. And then before the game started, they would come, they would make copies, give it to the player. They had a copy for themselves and they made a copy for me. Now they have these prison request forms that are three layers. Uh-huh. You have a white, a yellow, and a pink. And so we just took those and cut those up and just wrote picks on them. And then you have the the houseman gets the white copy, the writer gets the yellow copy, and the player gets the pink copy. Yeah. So everybody has documentation of what games were selected wow. for the bets. Gosh, so that is so elaborate. This I, is- I had a lot of people that were working for me, and uh-huh. I would take care of them. I was going to say, right, yeah, so how, writers, how are you regulating all the this? The writers yeah. get uh, traditional uh, 20%. Okay. So out of every five packs I wrote, the writer would get a pack for uh-huh. doing it. So he, he would he would write the bets down. You know, He's the one that's taking a lot of risk because he's out there, and he's visible. He's uh-huh. visible to the COs. Yeah. It looks strange when somebody's like writing stuff down on their hand. Yeah, like what are you doing? And stuff, you yeah. know? So they knew what was going on, but they knew it was kind of a harmless thing. Mm-hmm. So did that person... Is, is that person a part of the economy? And I'm just giving you an example of what the economy consists of. You got artists, you got people that do uh, mm. do letters, they do um, cards. Your grandma gets sick yeah, while you're in prison, yeah. you want them to have them make a nice card for your grandma. They they got the colored pencils, they mm. make a nice card. What is their hustle? If they don't do anything for the prison economy, they're getting their head bashed in Jeez. for saying what they said you yeah. understand because they're not affecting anybody but if they are important to the prison yeah. economy then there's going to be a discussion among the leaders mm-hmm. okay he said this he said this all right 
three cards of cigarettes for that infraction. Yeah, that just you know, that reminds you me give of us like three cards of cigarettes and we'll yeah. we'll we'll let it go. That's because like mafia you know, mafia people rules. Are from different backgrounds for sure, and grew up different, and it's how they were raised. And I think that um, the black guys that I grew up around, if if the N word was said by a white person in the vicinity, it wasn't really anger that I saw from them. Mm. It was more like disappointment. Yeah, it's like, what's wrong with and you? And how they were raised and brought up. Yeah, like, why take it there? Now, I used the word when I wanted to fight somebody. Oh, really? As a way to try to get them to fight me. Like to agitate but it, people? Right, but it wasn't like I'm going to call somebody a, a P-U-S-S-Y, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or something else like that. It was something that I was like, I want to fight you, but it doesn't look like you want to fight. So I'm going to try to insult you to where you get mad and you and yeah. you want to start swinging. All right. So yeah. it wasn't about. I want to say too, real real quick, if I and a little aside, I think we discussed this before we started recording, but Mark doesn't swear, and that's not because he is a pussy. I'm not asserting that by any means. It's because he's uh, he's better than all of us, I guess. So I mean, no. he's taking it upon himself to you know to to not use words like that and to keep up appearances. Are you? I see your name on um on Instagram is doctor. Are you uh, like a reverend or a pastor? I have. A doctorate in the field of ministry from oh, really? Jacksonville Theological wow. Seminary. Well, congratulations. Um, That's like I said, when I turned my life over to, over to God, uh -huh. uh, I got a Christian education yeah. and bachelor's degree in biblical studies, master in ministry, and a doctorate in ministry. Mm -hmm. That's where I got the nickname Doc from. Yeah. So when I when I said that, I, I would say that as an insult just to try to incite a fight. It's not like I really had had meant that. Like I, I can't stand people because of the color of their skin. Sure. It was just like, uh, how can I, how can I? What's the quickest to the way point? to? So if if yeah. I called you the F A G word, you I know get what, what I mean? you're saying. If I said that to you, that might make your head yeah. spin, turn red, and then you want to really fight. But I don't really have anything against homosexuals. I love everybody. I'm commanded by my God to love everyone. All right. That's that's what I'm commanded to do. Just because I love everyone doesn't mean I agree with their choices or their decisions or their lifestyle sure, yeah. or anything like that. doesn't mean that I condone it or support it. It does mean that I need to love them anyway mm -hmm. and say, look, everybody's at a certain place in their life. Everybody's different. Everybody's unique. Yeah. And I respect you as a fellow human being, regardless of what you look like, what your background is, any of that stuff, because of my life experiences and my faith, it's taught me to be that way. Yeah. And you might not agree with what I do with my life. You might not agree with what I believe. And that's okay. But I don't have to worry about you being violent toward me because of that. And mm -hmm. I think that's where our society has fallen so short nowadays is that we get so divisive. And it's so one side or other side. And people can't meet in the middle and say, hey, let's see what we do agree on. And not focus on the the extremes that we don't agree on, and let's see where we can come together and, you know, try to coexist. Now I know my faith and my beliefs, but there's a delegate from my county that is getting the roads repaired and paying teachers more. Those are two things that I really want to see happen in my community. Mm -hmm. Now what you don't know about this person is that they're a transgender woman mm -hmm. a man who from man to a woman sure i don't care about any of that 
are my roads going to be without potholes and are the teachers in my community going to get paid more because they deserve it? Yeah, sure. That's all I care about. What do they represent? Mm -hmm. That's why I don't say I'm a Republican or a Democrat. I was like, I'm a person who really looks and sees what this candidate is yeah. about and what you like support. results a lot of people right. like results uh they're and a lot of people are like, fed up at the lack thereof uh, they're just the representative uh -huh. of, yeah. of what i yeah. want to see happen well people get confused by when when voting and go vote y'all if you learned anything from the last episode if lester finney taught us anything it's go vote and do the little dance yeah. we, we talked about think that because i'm a christian that <laughs> yeah. that I, I love trump and that i always vote republican and that's just the, the the common stereotype and it's not yeah it's I, not true. I haven't voted for trump but i love him more than anyone i can't stand the guy i absolutely love but him i'm head over heels for I trump i can't stand him less than i can stand the other guy like if it's like sure. if i got to choose between these two geez that's a hard decision and okay. not in a in a in a good way hard yeah. decision like they're both really strong and they mm -hmm. really are this like man i got to choose between these two idiots yeah my goodness, they can't come up with somebody better than these two guys? Well, one's an idiot and one's not alive. One's a skeleton, a corpse walking. You know, there's, yeah, he there's a difference dementia. between an idiot and somebody who's got like... I'm related to somebody who has dementia and he definitely has dementia. Oh my I mean, gosh. He shows all the signs. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> no, but when I say I love Trump, I just love all of his Trumpisms. I love all this. This I used to do like a Trump impression. Uh, he comes on the show sometimes on the podcast. Oh, That's our most popular episode. Actually, it has like over two hundred <laughs> views <laughs> when <laughs> President Trump came for his second appearance. Yeah, he has antisocial <laughs> personality disorder. Oh, really? Um, yeah, he he's on the spectrum. You're saying Donald oh, Trump is? Yeah, yeah. You, you wouldn't disorder. you wouldn't believe it if you if you were told that based on the way he you know acts and, and operates. He's so well. People don't really. Um, well, it's not like you're interfacing with really this guy directly. What somebody means to say antisocial personality disorder. Mm -hmm. uh, people think antisocial. They think somebody who doesn't talk. Somebody sure. who's really shy. Sure. They don't want to be in social situations. Mm -hmm. That's non-social. Um, if you think of the word antisocial, you're, you're basically putting two words together, mm -hmm. anti and social. So the word social, what we normally think of is speaking. But in this sense, what social means is society. Think of the first four letters, S-O-C-I, okay. society. Okay. Mm. So a person who is anti-social is anti-society. Mm. A person who is anti-society says, I want to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it, and I don't want to face any consequences as a result. Mm. This is the way most criminals think. This is why over 90% of the people that are incarcerated have some form of antisocial personality disorder. It has nothing to do with talking or not talking. Uh -huh. There's pro-social people. Yeah. Think about that word. Pro-social, anti-social. Pro-social people are for society. They're for let's all get together and make the world a better place. But there's something so liberating about being so self-centered and being the, self, the center of attention at the same time, right? When you see somebody under a microscope who only cares about themselves, right. there's, and, there are very right. magical he things that happen. It's an attack if you don't agree with them. And that's why I'm saying, like, this is not civil conversation and then you'll here. see you'll see him t uh, in press conferences <laughs> no you'll see him in press conferences i mean recently he said something he was talking somebody asked him about uh ron DeSantis, and he was like don't call him a fat pig don't call him a fat pig he's not he's not he's just throwing these random things out that no one was thinking just because he wants to hear them he wants to he wants everyone to know that he's better in every way and that he can just flagrantly <laughs> insult people <laughs> right. Oh, so, gosh. I uh, 
I'll tell you guys the craziest thing that I ever saw in prison. Oh, please. All right, because I know that's what uh, some of the viewers and some of the listeners. No, I mean, we, hey, li- and, and it, I want to say, too, if you have a heart out, let me know at any point. But this this could go forever. Uh, just let me know when you give me a, a point, something, and I'll, I'll know when to wrap it up. But, I mean, no, I've up to this long. point, I mean, I, I think we've been having a blast. I mean, what would you say, Lorenzo? This is, yeah, I mean. This is the I mean, we normally flow, but anytime we have a guest, that shit just flows. Yeah, like, like, we could probably just do like you know the channels where like it just never turns off. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> because it's Talking like heads. because we know how yeah. each other operates to a point where we can go back and forth on anything, but it usually it it requires us pulling up clips like dumb videos like this and 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 commenting on them. But uh, when when we have somebody new in here, somebody with like a life and breadth of experience, you know, it, it, you have so many different stories to pull from and so many lived experiences. I mean, that's all we want to talk about. So please uh, feel free and volunteer anything. And that's why I said too. And this goes for anybody whoever comes on or you know or wants to come come with anything you want really that no holds barred i will talk yeah i could up and down I could about contact you ahead of time and say hey let's talk about this yeah if, tonight let's and, just focus on this and we can do 20 30 and you'll be something. back i'm sure it, because of you're course. more than welcome and i do mean that open door policy and if you want to dive into your um you know your history with the whole wrongful convictions um background um i would love to do some research on on your friend um jimmy gardner is it i would love to definitely because if i did a little background you know and had some things queued up we could do a you know point for point analysis of this whole situation up to now right I would love to do down. something like I mean, that. I've uh, I've done a video about him, mm-hmm. a quick like a six minute YouTube video on my channel. Um, and what's that? Well, we're at the end, I'll let you plug everything for sure. I'm not plugging anything. Uh, but what's the craziest? The story? craziest thing yeah. I ever saw in prison. Most people think I'm going to talk about uh, stabbing or a riot that jumped off, and while those things did occur, the craziest thing that I ever saw in prison was a group of hardcore gangbangers, all who were doing life sentences for murder. Uh-huh. Playing the game Dungeons and Dragons. No kidding. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And tell me they were doing life because yeah, they were I all, don't and, want them out. And I, I do was, not want them I out. I thought I was in the Twilight Zone. I, I say, <laughs> what? It was like think. Imagine Lord of the Rings meets yeah. uh, the Wu Tang Clan. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was a combination of because mm-hmm. they were getting into it. They had their own characters set. I mean, yeah. they were rolling dice, and I was just like blown away by the fact that. When I think of Dungeons and Dragons, I'm thinking of like a, a bunch of geeky, nerdy, white teenagers who are like 12 or 13 years folks, old in a basement somewhere. Like, folks uh, don't give things. Folks don't give black people enough With credit. Like one nerdy black kid, like the I just black I want to say here and now. I mean, and listeners of our show <laughs> know full well how much anime. I don't know if you know what like Japanese cartoons. That's such a staple in Black American culture, specifically. Right, because it started with the Kung Fu. Yeah. Movies. Oh yeah, it started no. Started with the karate movies, like Michael Jai White and all those big. I love Kung Fu movies. Yeah. Man. My dad we used to watch ninja movies, Kung Fu movies, and then the progression is still like in Kung Fu. Why do you think the Wu Tang Clan was so popular? And yeah. Successful using sure. those clips yeah. from the from the Kung Fu movies. Mm-hmm. It's just like yeah. that's the culture. Yeah. You know, it's like you admire that culture. And because I lived in those neighborhoods, I could see that they were like Bruce Lee all the way. Like Bruce Lee was the man, even though he'd been dead mm-hmm. for many years. Bruce Lee was the man, and then it became uh, Gordon Liu, 
and then Jackie Chan and then Jet Li. Yeah. Like it just went through that progression. That's the astonishing part about our our country. Our our society is such that like you said, the black community pulls inspiration from from these uh, Asian martial artists. But then, in in just the same way, uh, out in in California, you know, there will be so many small uh, or young impressionable Asian children who will grow up sports betting on like basketball games and and to take a, an affinity with basketball players, such that yeah. it you know it travels all the way across the world. And now there's such a big concentrated market for like basketball and sports betting in in China and in Korea and, yeah, and Japan like, and so on. What's you know? really cool that I can't do that I can't do, or and that's the that thing I can like, admire. It's right? got to be something really yeah. really cool that you can't. do. And then it gets to the point where there are there are people growing up who that's all they want to do because that's the, what they're fixing by and then it crosses over and then then you know the worlds collide and then you have people from all different backgrounds competing in all sorts of different things you wouldn't have imagined you know right. even a few it's years like the, ago the, the middle school team i coach mm -hmm. during black history month when i have to explain to them that there was a time where kids who were of different skin complexion mm -hmm. couldn't play on the same team doesn't make sense it's the most foreign concept oh, they've ever heard of because half of them are biracial yeah half you know and there's like a third of them are black a third of them are white so it's just like they don't understand a world that could have even been like that mm -hmm. and i love that so much i love that about but them because it tells me how far we have come as a society yes when they can't even understand that concept mm -hmm. what do you mean like jameer yeah. couldn't have been my friend in 1950 mm -hmm. because he's black you know what i mean it's yeah. like the only thing is like race and skin complexion at some point is only going to be used in a descriptive way uh -huh. it's not going to be used in a stereotypical way yeah you know uh, and hopefully we're on, yeah. are funny <laughs> all right and then they usually come from somewhere and when people sure. say white people do this, white people do that, yeah. I laugh. Like, maybe I don't do it, maybe I do. But if I know that there's a lot of people that do it like that, yeah. then it's just funny to me. And that's what I want to talk about as far as, you know, this prison, these black guys playing mm -hmm. Dungeons and Dragons, is that it's just funny to see what you don't normally see. It's the juxtaposition right. of these two things that don't and normally coincide. It's like you're combining two types of cultures the D and D culture with the hip hop culture, uh -huh. and it's not the martial arts culture; it's the D and D culture with hip hop culture. So, yeah. you know, you got guys that have their characters said. Uh, Diabolical Debo was one of the characters, and, <laughs> okay. you know, he's uh, confronting one of the other characters in the game, and it's like they're using middle Middle Earth British accents that they hear in Lord of the Rings, and it's so like, funny. I what set yeah. doth ye claim? You know what I mean? It's just like I would kill like, to see that, but again, from a distance, I want them to like, stay put where they nobody are. Nobody knows this that is going on, but that cannot be exposed to the general. I, God forbid, <laughs> heaven forbid, that that. <laughs> because nobody knows this stuff. I, w I refuse to allow that to be cool. I can't. And, and when I black said, people start doing it, that's when it becomes cool. It I, I regret that's, to that's say. That's the benchmark of when something officially becomes cool is when black people start doing it. Yeah. So Lorenzo. Your your people, they are they're innovators. And my people, you met my city. mom on the way in. That's and, uh, I I I, I claim black when it when, but I'm when it benefits me. Christian can but not can when, go back and forth. But not when I'm in a lineup of people that I could be, you know, <laughs> go back and potentially lose twenty years of my life. I'm white as it gets. Let me tell you, you know right what now. I saw <laughs> yesterday, and it it was half funny, half disturbing. 
half I almost wanted to call Homeland Security <laughs> because I'm like, uh, we might have a person of interest here. Okay? Oh, really? Yeah, but it was just so strange because I pull up on this GMC Denali truck. I mean, it's jacked up, white truck, and I'm like, wow, this is Redneck Central right here. You know, this is this is in the Noakesville area of Virginia. You yeah, know, I know. Manassas, there has some outskirts, uh-huh. you know, some country areas. And, you know, it's nothing to see, like, you know, military flags in the back and you just, you know, where they stand on certain issues. Mm-hmm. So I see this this back windshield of this GMC Denali and there's two AK-47s that Jeez. are crossing each other like an X. Okay. And I'm like, okay, he's going hard. It's he's a going hard for, for a Second Amendment. <laughs> and then on the left side of the windshield, I see and it looks like uh, Arabic writing. Because at first I thought it was some letters, and then I looked closer and I was like, those look like like some kind of like Hebrew letters or something. Okay. Or like uh, Farsi or something. I don't know. I don't know what yeah, the like Sanskrit, what the, whatever. Yeah, Sanskrit. So then I look closer at the two AK-47s crossing each other, and underneath it, you know how our we guys got like the like, don't forget 9/11, don't forget 9/11. Okay. A lot of the rednecks are like don't forget 9/11, don't forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one said, "Remember 1984." Remember 1984. And then it started. I was like, "Oh snap!" I, I pull up and I, I sped up a little further just to see what the guy looked like. Yeah. And it was a, a Middle Eastern looking guy. And I was like, dang, I was like an Arabic redneck That's for wild. his own country, not for our country. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. He was like, but for his own country. I'm like, whatever happened in 1984, we must have done some stuff. Uh-huh. The U.S. must have went over there and killed some people from where he's from. Well, I was going to say that's a George Orwell novel, right? So I was like, no, but, but, I'm but I know what that you're there saying. There was something going on yeah. in the Middle East where the United States probably sent troops. No, exactly. People, yeah. And he's like, remember that because uh-huh. that's his 9 11. Yeah. Is when the U.S. came because the U.S. was wrong. They thought something was going on and it wasn't really going on. Mm-hmm. So in his mind, he's like, I'm ready to take up arms against the it's U.S. So, but I'm like, but you live so in the U.S. Funny. And you're driving a DMC Denali souped up truck like a redneck. Goodness and I'm gracious. afraid of you. <laughs> but then I'm like, well, within your I'm right, not really like that yeah. afraid. I'm not afraid. Of you. Should I be afraid more of you than I am of some uh, yeah. redneck that has, you know, never forget 9-11? Because mm-hmm. that's basically what it uh, but I was gonna say, related to. I was going to say, not to say that that's what he was talking about, but that's his out. When he, when people ask him about his, like, it's just a book. I don't know what you're talking about. And these guns, oh, no, I, that's sure my right. You know? to talk about whatever yeah. 1984, oh, what happened gosh. in 1984 in his country. Yeah. I don't know if it was Lebanon because we were doing a lot of stuff in Lebanon back in 1984 but there were some people that got that got killed that were civilians oh, yeah, and that we were responsible for so to me it's like if that's your country if that's where you're from mm-hmm. and some other country had done that to your family or friends or cousins or relatives yeah, who's to say where the person like, like that would be liable yeah, to yeah if you come back again yeah. I got my AK-47s mm-hmm. and whatever it says yeah. on the left side of his back his, his windshield now when was this when did you see this, this? two days ago okay so this is post um, r- a removal of troops yeah but it was just like one of those weird things like you don't see it that often I've uh-huh. never seen a Middle Eastern redneck yeah. But it's like, it's when two cultures uh, oh. combine, and that's what we were talking about, you know. No, for this sure. This culture that's crosses the, over, like the that's D&D the weird crossover over to the black yeah. guys, and not just any black guys. Not like the nerdy black guys. I grew up around all black. So no, these were some hard, dirty you, ones, hard there was knocks, ones. There yeah. was gangsters. There was all kinds of different, you know, uh, subgroups. Yeah. But for this cultural um, crossover, mm-hmm. it. 
I said, it was half humorous, but half scary at the same time. Yeah. Because I'm like, holy crap. I thought I was pulling up on a redneck and I was like, this guy's like, he's all about it. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, well, I can't just report him based on some stickers on the back of his windshield. Cause then that's, that's where we, that's where we fall apart as a society is when we get scared of people who have some beliefs Mm -hmm. that they feel strongly about, but they're not harming anybody. They're not openly trying to attack anybody, but they can have their beliefs even Mm -hmm. if we don't agree with them. Yeah. That's the whole point of our country. Yeah, he might just be letting people know he's posted up. He's ready to go. Let some speech. Let something pop off. You know, and I don't want to infringe on his freedom yeah. of speech because apparently he's doing well for himself. Mm-hmm. He's got a GMC Denali souped sure. up truck. Shoot, with gas prices uh, these days too. Right, and I mean, some people just like the flag. I have a. Hey, I, he might have a plug with the oil there. So I don't know. I have a. <laughs> I have a black cousin who's. Who's built like just like you, except even a little bigger, even. And he's, you know, always he's got all kinds of sports cars and big pickups. He's doing very well for himself. I don't understand why or how, but I don't question it. <laughs> but I mean, like, he's a he's a Trump diehard, but not in the ironic sense that I love him. He's really, you know, like an avid supporter voter. And I mean, but th- that's just what we're talking about. I mean, for all sorts of different ways shapes or reasons people end up where they do and you know it's who am i to walk up to somebody like that on the street and make a make a snap judgment of them or be afraid of them or feel like they're in some way shape or form a threat to me even if like right. all the signs are pointing to that this is my adversary or this right. should be somebody that the enemy of my enemy is my friend <laughs> yeah, am i right sure. so it's like but it goes against the norm. And uh-huh. that's what we, we find interesting or we find humorous yeah. is when something goes against the norm. That's it's intriguing. I am a student of comedy. All right. Uh-huh. I do underground comedy. I only do open mics. I don't do showcases. I'm, I'm not on YouTube. What I sent you, the clip that I sent that's, you yeah, is I'm on my to. private channel and only I can send the clip and the link. Uh-huh, yeah. It cannot be shared. I can share it with somebody, but it cannot be shared. I'm actually that. prepared to pull that up right now. And so, <laughs> no, it's okay. But I'm saying, is that I do comedy for comedians. Yeah. I get to open mics because there's only really comedians in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And that's my benchmark. That's my goal is if I can make other comedians laugh who are literally the toughest crowd to get to laugh yeah. because they're they're so involved in comedy mm-hmm. that it takes a lot to make other comedians laugh. It sure does. When I am slaying a room and it's only full of comedians, I am vindicated as far as what I'm saying is yeah. funny. I have honed my craft. I have done it for many, many years. It's the ultimate I started off as a kid watching Saturday Night Live, SC's TV, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, and the greats, George Carlin, observational comics, Mm -hmm. all the way up. And I've I've loved humor, and I'm a student of it. So that's what I do. You'll not hear me plug. I'm going to be at the the loft next Saturday night. Come on out to the show. Yeah. Because that's not something that I care about. Okay. You really just genuinely care about, like, impressing the people who are, like, the hardest to impress. Is that what it is for you? It's a challenge. Mm -hmm. It's not trying to impress anybody. It's just a challenge. Can I get other comedians to laugh at my material? Can I do this? Because if I can get other comedians to laugh at my material, I don't need a, a, a crowd of people that are there to laugh. Yeah. I need a crowd of people that are waiting to tell their jokes mm-hmm. or they did their set they bombed nobody was really laughing and now they're trying to figure out well what do i need to do to change it so you've got people right. that are constantly distracted and if i can hold their attention for that five minute span mm-hmm. and get them to forget about everything else they were thinking about and focus on my jokes and laugh 
at the places that I feel there should be laughter, then that's the challenge that I'm putting against myself because I don't need comedy for money. Yeah, I have other sources of income that are coming in, in, into my account. Comedy is my bucket list item that people have told me, you need to get up on stage and tell that story. You need to do this, you need to do that. And I'm sure you're very good at it too, yeah. Because that's why I'm saying like during that time, I could make some of the hardest hardcore criminals laugh, mm -hmm. genuinely belly laugh. And that made me feel good because I brought a little bit of joy and laughter into a place of darkness. Uh -huh. And that's why I do what I do now. I try to bring light into places of darkness. That's my mission. That's my goal in life. Oh, good and on you. Helping somebody get through their day by making them laugh or forgetting about the thing that they were depressed about because I said something funny. I yes, mean, sir. It's a really it's rewarding feeling when you make that happen. I, at work, wherever it happens for me, I really, it, it's like my whole day turns around if I make one person laugh at anything. So to be able to go into a room full of people, experienced or not, um, and make them laugh to me, I mean, it's really, that's why I do it. It's really selfish for real. And I'm not doing it. I'm not at the point even where I could do it for pay or for money, but if I could do it and just that to sustain myself, I mean, what a dream would, that would be, right? I mean, you're lucky in the sense that you, you say you have all this different revenue. You do revenue. what you're passionate about. Oh, exactly. If you have I, a passion for it, then you're motivated, mm -hmm. self-motivated. This is all self-fulfilling and, and, and facilitating, right? Like, I, once once the ball gets rolling with this, so does it with stand-up and with music and everything that I'm passionate about. And I and and that's my ultimate goal is to to make to make my hobbies work for me and to make that enough, you know, so that I can sustain myself. That, right. There's things at the that end of the day. you do because you need to support yourself and you need to pay the bills. Yeah. And you might have to do something that you don't really enjoy so you can save that money, take care of your responsibilities, 100%. to give you the opportunity to do things you really do enjoy. Exactly, yeah. You know, I here's another thing that I do. I audit. I'm an auditor of estate oh, really? accounts. Somebody dies, they leave a will, they yeah, have an executor yeah. that handles the money, mm -hmm. or somebody's incapacitated and they have somebody handling their finances for them. I basically go behind them to make sure that they're doing the right thing with the money. They're paying the taxes, they're distributing the inheritance to the people who are supposed to get it from the will, mm -hmm. and there's a need for that role. So I do that. I, that brings me no joy. Hmm. I'm just really good with numbers and details. Yeah, you happen to be good at it, and and, and that's you know, me and in my need position. That. Yeah. It's not something that brings me joy, but that allows, a need, me, it allows you, yeah. me to be able to go out and tell exactly. jokes and to go out and to take these trips to these different places mm -hmm. and share the message of faith, share yeah. some, some humor, share my story and uh, come out here on a Thursday night yeah. and hang out with. Christian and Lorenzo. Well, uh, sadly, Lorenzo, Lorenzo Lorenzo's out of the picture right now because I guess my Wi-Fi has gone down. For the router or something's acting up, but he's like frantically <laughs> calling and texting me right now. Like, what's going on? Or is everything okay? Oh, we got cut out. But he got cut out. But I mean, this is recording. Um, um, you know. So this is recording um, audio, mm -hmm. but not 
it's Camera. just his his phone call cut out. That's the only thing on Wi-Fi. Cameras, everything is still on. But um, okay. but I think it's that's a sign. I think that we can you know wrap it up here. But we do something at the end of the show. Yeah. And I mean, I'm really, really, really glad that we met today, and and that because um, I just saw you um, you followed the podcast Instagram, and I think that's what prompted my um, reaching out. I'm sort of like the de facto booker slash organizer slash engineer. All, all of it is like my time and money goes into it directly. But I mean, I'm really, really, really glad you did decide to stop by. And we do a thing at the end of each show where Lorenzo normally gives advice uh, to the duration of, a, of an outro song. But I think I, you've been so great and you, you seem to have so much, you just have like a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. I'd love for you to impart some advice of any kind related to what we talked about or not to the audience, anything you wanna you know, get across, this is your, your time to do that now. I mean, please. Um, and I'll, when the song ends, then the advice ends and then they can forget all about it. <laughs> like it didn't matter. Well, I've had a blast being on this show, the LNC show, and the wisdom I would like to impart on anybody who's listening is that we need to be stepping out in love toward each other and kindness toward each other and respect toward each other at all times. Because even if other people aren't doing their part, we can always do ours. We only have control of us and what goes on inside of us and what comes out of us and i think if it's kindness love and respect then we are making the world a better place individually one day at a time yeah i mean i couldn't have put it better myself and again i noticed you have a little bit of reluctance to delve too deep into the whole religious aspect of your you know beliefs and i'm sure that's a really really major uh, part of your um your sort of modus operandi, right? Is how how your religion integrates itself into, you know, how you how you operate, how do you conduct yourself, you know? And I mean, any any number of teachings, anything you want to, you know, next time to talk about or hash out, I'm, I'm more than happy to dive into. I don't know a whole lot about uh, Christianity now where I stand. I, I was raised. In, in and out of church and then like private Christian school so I do have like a little bit of a knowledge but I I would love next time to to learn about how religion has sort of informed your your transformation your rehabilitation because uh, you know it might help people listening it might um, uh, people might go their yeah, own way and share my uh, testimony on my encounter no absolutely because uh, I was an atheist yeah the first 30 years of my and life. i guess I'm, I'm really curious about that what's what's that 180 what or how does that sort of a 180 even even happen you have to have an experience so powerful mm -hmm. that it fractures yeah your paradigm mm -hmm. paradigm is a is an ingrained set of beliefs mm -hmm. and if something just comes in and crashes that down and then you have a new set of of totally different beliefs that's called a paradigm shift mm -hmm. and I had a paradigm shift in my life where I went from believing totally one way to believing something totally different yeah and it was based on that experience and it would probably take me about 15 to 20 minutes to, to really go into detail and describe that experience and uh, I don't want to take up too much time no, next time for sure but I would love, I would love to come back at least uh, at least once a month 
Uh, please, um, yes. I mean, I don't have any sound effects. We're going to get sound effects. At least once a month, I like, I like to come and uh, yes, we'll, we'll, absolutely. we'll coordinate and we'll, uh, we'll organize it and I'll do stand-up. I'll talk about religion. Yeah, I was going to say next time we have the curtain behind me. Uh, people, I, I try to get people to go up and do jokes if they want to, if they want a space to work out material <laughs> for longer than five or ten minutes, right? It's there for you. And we'll right. play music and play you on and all that. But, I mean, yeah, anytime you want, uh, Mr. Mark, this has been fantastic. Thank you again for stopping by. Is there anything that you want to promote? It doesn't have to be your stand-up or anything, but you have you have a YouTube channel. I, I assume you do. Uh, yeah. Uh, faith outreach or Dr. anything mark b hubble okay is the youtube channel and my facebook page is mark b hubble that b is very important for some reason okay. it separates me from a lot of different from like the hubble uh, telescope foundation <laughs> and it's spelled like hubble telescope okay B B L E. yes sir um but if you type that in it'll probably pull up a weekly message that i give every monday morning i do what's called the monday morning mini message and it's just a quick three minutes or less uh, sharing of a story mm -hmm. coupled with a verse in scripture and an inspirational message for the week. Nice. So, all right. Well, you Monday heard Monday morning it. mini message. You might be able to just Google Monday morning mini message and I might pop up and you'll hear something. There you go, folks. You know where to find them. Thank you for watching as always. And we'll be back. I'm trying to get Brandon Moore in here, but he's on vacation uh, to uh, Puerto Rico right now. And uh, there are a couple other people in the books. So uh, stay tuned. But Brandon thank you Moore again for great. watching. Yeah. He told me a story so funny. I want to steal it and tell it as my <laughs> own because he's not going to tell it on stage. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing you don't broadcast any of your stuff. So <laughs> I think you can get away with it. All right. Peace out, y'all.